Welcome to the Third Growth Option Podcast, where we talk with business leaders and innovators hungry to drive growth that can be faster than internal organic growth and less risky than acquisition. Your moderator is Bernal Dunkerspuler, Chief Sherpa and CEO at Realign, who has led private equity-owned distributors through turnarounds and growth. With battle-proven leaders from all frontiers, we want to provoke thinking about business growth beyond conventional wisdom and binary choices. Hi, I'm Benno, Gross Sherpa and your moderator sitting here with Karen Jeske, owner and managing director of Style Data, a merchandising product development, trend consulting service. Did I, did I say all that right, Karen? Yes, you did, Benno. Thank you so much. All right. Karen, you and I uh, met each other on a project 15, 18, 20 years ago or something. So just as a Quick introduction to our listeners. Uh, Karen studied uh, textile design. Then you got your MBA, worked for a big apparel brand in New York City, rose through the ranks of home textile, went over to the home textile business, directors, vice president, senior vice president level. Uh, You sort of covered the gamut of multi-channel and omni-channel with online, direct marketing, in-person selling, brick and mortar, B2C, B2B. You founded a company that you then sold to Smith & Noble in 2000 and became vice president of merchandising there and did that for a number of years. And you've been in a full-time consulting mode for the last, uh, since 2012, right? Yes. So before we start, tell the audience a little bit travel story. Uh, You know, I always ask the travel story because business growth changes us, travel changes us. You got any good travel stories you want to share with our listeners? Well, the one that comes to mind, Bano, and I will say that merchandising is a great career for people that love to travel and see the world. And it's fun to mix business and pleasure. And I was in Copenhagen for the first time at a digital printing conference. And my mom sent me an email saying one thing to be careful of is pickpockets, specifically at the train station. And when I was leaving Copenhagen to um, take the train back to the airport to fly to London, I looked down at my handbag and it was wide open. And I thought to myself, how silly for me to walk around like this, especially after that warning from my mom. And then when I investigated further, I was missing my wallet. Fortunately, I had my passport and was able to fly to London and shout out to American Express for helping me check into my hotel and replacing my credit card the next day. Live and learn, right? Yes, yes. (laughs) I'm sure you have many stories too. Yeah, Lots of things can go wrong when we travel. That was far enough into your career where this was not your first international trip. No, it wasn't. This was in 2005 and digital textile printing was new. And this was a conference that I was very interested in attending. And it turns out it took a while, but digital printing is a big part of the product development that I do now. Got you. So, Karen, you know, I think of you as a as a strategic thinker about product, about the customer, about the manufacturing process, and and then the data behind a product's uh, success or failure. You use a 
a string of words that I really enjoy. You talk about going from spreadsheets to bed sheets, from color palettes to shipping palettes, from boardrooms to sample rooms. I think that's a great way to sort of describe what you do and, and the world you live in, right? Yes. I think of merchandising, first of all, for anyone that doesn't know what merchandising is, it is the art and science of putting the right product in front of the right customer with the right presentation and the right price point. And I started out my career as a textile designer in the 1980s. And back then, the only data I would ever have on how our products sold was a salesperson telling me that I sold 20,000 yards of that fabric or I sold 20,000 units of that apparel that you designed. And once I joined the home furnishings industry, I landed at a company that had a computer on my desk in 1988. And this was pre-Excel, but there was a program called Lotus 123 where I could bring product data in. If there was an undo button, I wasn't aware of it. So the screen was black and white and it had DOS letters on it, but it allowed me to start. We're aging um, ourselves. <laughs> analyzing data. <laughs> and I really fell in love with the process of developing products and analyzing them. And now the first thing when I do when I that I do when I go into a company is I try to get a big spreadsheet with all the product data. There's a limit of a million rows in Excel, but... You actually know that. I did not know that there was a limit of a million rows. I probably bumped up to 10,000 or so, but never a million. Yeah, well, what I like to do is get um, a spreadsheet that has every dimension of the product, the price, the color, the options. And the first thing I do is I sort and look at what is most profitable, what is least profitable. I look at the presentation of the product, whether it's a website or in a store, or if this is a manufacturer, their showroom. And I try to guess what the best sellers are based on what I see. And then I look at the data. Am I right? Am I wrong? I look at the data and I say, why is this the best seller? Is it the price? Is it the color? Is it the design of the product? So working back and forth between really understanding the product, how it's made, supply chain, components of it, and then looking at the success of it is really the method of continuing to evolve a product line that's going to be successful. So when, when you're talking about left brain, right brain, you're talking about art and science and sort of toggling back and forth, right, between the analytical and the creative. Yeah, yeah. So when, when you look back over your career, was there a certain sort of key event? And, and by, by key event, I, I mean something, you know, like for me, I, I look back on, you know, a couple, two or three key events. But one, one was I was interviewing for the job as buyer at Pottery Barn, and I did something in the first two minutes of the final interview with the head guy who, by the way, had blown me off two weeks earlier. I had flown from Philadelphia to San Francisco and interviewed with a handful of people, supposed to be with him as well, but he blew me off, so I had to fly back across the country two weeks later. 
for a nine o'clock breakfast meeting on a Saturday. And he wasn't there at nine o'clock. He wasn't there at quarter after nine. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to walk out. And then I saw his car drive by the restaurant looking for a parking spot. Everybody knew he was driving a Porsche. So I knew it was him. I'd never met him. And I made the decision to walk to the front door to leave the restaurant. And I timed it pretty much exactly to when I was walking out the door, when he was walking in. And he looked at me and says, wait, are you Benno? (laughs) (laughs) I said, yeah, who are you? (laughs) And he's like, I'm Gary Friedman. I thought we had an interview. I said, yeah, I thought so too, but that was 15 minutes ago. So I was just ready to leave. And, And I think that kind of set the stage for my relationship, for our relationship with each other. And, and it, it, it just taught me that even though there was sort of a big power difference between, you know, a candidate applying for a buyer job and the, he was EVP, I think at the time, executive vice president, I was not driving a Porsche. He was driving a Porsche. And I just sort of said, dude, you're late. Right on. Uh, <laughs> you know, that that was a key event. For anyone that doesn't know who Gary Friedman is now, do you want to share who that is? He is the CEO chairman of Restoration Hardware now. And one of my mentors and favorite people in the business, actually. He's an, he's an amazing teacher. I can say that half of the gray hair in my head came from the eight months when I reported directly <laughs> to him. <laughs> <laughs> He's an amazing guy. And you, you, you talk about uh, left brain, right brain, you know, art and science. I mean, he has, you know, he, he put Pottery Barn on the map and he took over at Restoration Hardware when they were struggling and then totally reimagined and reinvented Restoration Hardware, where today I think it's five or 10 times larger in revenue and, uh, than it was when he took it over 10, I don't know, 15 years ago. It is a completely, completely different company. Well, for me, I think it's a, sort of a similar story. It probably took place around the same time in the late 90s. I was invited to interview for the first merchant position at a company called Smith & Noble, which is a custom retailer of window blinds and shades. And it was strictly a catalog company at the time. And the owner, whose name is Fred Cambar and founder, opened up the catalog and he said to me, which of these fabrics do you think is the best seller? And I said, the cheapest, whitest fabric. And he said, okay, well, of course. Okay, look at this range of... Good answer, Karen. (laughs) (laughs) Look at this range of prints. Which of these prints do you think is best? And I happened to choose the one that was the best seller. So I think that was the actual end of the interview. But at Smith & Noble, and maybe you had a similar experience at Pottery Barn, I really fell in love with direct marketing and the ability to do A-B testing, which I hadn't really been introduced to before. It's a big thing in online retailing. And what it is is where you send out in this case, two versions of the catalog that might have different creative or different pricing, and you randomly send them out to your customer base, and you see which one performs better. 
And back then, the attribution was very accurate because every catalog had a source code on it. Now with the internet, we have some very sophisticated tools to do the same kind of testing. And although sometimes the attribution is harder, you don't necessarily know with online selling where the customer was sourced from. During my time at Smith & Noble, and I think you mentioned during your time at Pottery Barn also, we launched our first website. So it was a very exciting time. And I think that that was one of the turning points in my career. And since then, I have pretty much focused on direct marketing, whether it skewed much more towards internet these days, but most companies have a direct mail component to them as well. Got you. So now in your consulting practice, you work with with both retailers and manufacturers on really all aspects of the product, right? From uh, reviewing the product, assortment strategy, design, color, trend, margin growth, supply chain, data analysis. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you and I have done this stuff, you know, a hundred times, but I, I find when I explain it, you know, to friends and family members, you know, they look at me a little bit cross-eyed and, and trying to explain it. It's, it's a little bit like explaining a four-year-old how to tie the shoelaces. You know, it's easy to do, but difficult to explain. I, I remember when my kids were younger. Talk me through a project where you helped a company that didn't really have a solid product development process, maybe wasn't really balanced between left brain and right brain. Does a project come to mind? Yes. I'm thinking about a consulting assignment where I joined a gift-oriented retailer where Mother's Day was one of the three largest holidays of the year. And I joined in mid-April, so all of the product had been developed, and it was a beautifully curated line. And it was this was an online retailer, so they had a section on their website for Mother's Day. And I started analyzing the product as sales started to come in and started arranging the product in the order of sales, which is something merchandising people do. But then I noticed a neat feature on their website, which was the gift card that you filled out when you were in the checkout process. So I downloaded all the data from that and I searched through it and looked for terms like mom, mother, grandma in different languages, as well as English, and found that some of the best-selling products for Mother's Day were not in the Mother's Day category, and they were kind of unexpected products. So we moved, we moved those into the, kind of the bottom of the category originally, but by the time the Mother's Day holiday was over, one of those products was the best-selling product for the holiday. So that's an example of combining merchandising data and product design. Yeah, and, and, and it's, also, it's also a great story of how we as merchants think, you know, we hey, we've done the research, we know the marketplace, we know what the competitors are doing, let us use all this left brain, right brain data that we have and, and knowledge that we have, and let's put together a Mother's Day selection. Well, the customer had another opinion that there was something that was not in the Mother's Day section that would make a great Mother's Day gift. And you have, you know, in that case, had the curiosity to sort of listen, learn, look, and 
you know, find something that many other people would not have found because we tend to sort of fall in love with our ideas and, hey, here, here's Mother's Day, so let's look at Mother's Day. But you sort of expected and accepted the unexpected. Yes, that was a big eye-opener. So, you know, one question that both of us have probably been asked 112,000 times by folks on the inventory side of the business or, or, or the finance department, maybe, hey, why don't you, you know, can't you just put an assortment together with just the best sellers, just the best selling colors? Why does, like in a color assortment, why does it need certain colors or patterns that you know are not going to be the best sellers, but you know it is necessary to, to, to talk us kind of through that process a little bit? Yeah, well, the 80-20 rule definitely applies to a lot of products, and it is a product-specific thing. But in fashion-oriented product lines, which is where I tend to work, there definitely is always going to be a color that sells best. In some product lines, it's white. In some color lines, it's black. Sometimes it's neutral colors, grays. But in most cases, we also want to present fashion colors as well. And you may try to negotiate lower minimums on those colors with your vendors. There are lots of things you can do, but the customer does want to see a broad selection, even if they are going to choose that best-selling color. Let's talk about fashion a little bit. So, you know, fashion is notoriously risky and unpredictable and, you know, sort of big risk, big rewards or failures. How have you used data and technology to reduce that risk? Well, one of the new technologies that I mentioned a little bit earlier was digital printing. And I have helped one of my custom home furnishings clients greatly increase their assortment of exclusive fashion fabrics through digital printing on demand. A decade ago, it would have been difficult to find a fabric mill that would print less than 2,000 yards of a fabric. And 2,000 yards in custom home furnishings is a lot. When I worked at Van Heusen, we wouldn't blink at ordering 100,000 yards of a fabric. But in custom home furnishings, 2,000 is a lot. So offering an extensive fabric selection for this client was that was beyond basic was not really an option. But with digital printing, we can actually print the fabric that the customer ordered on demand and just print the amount that we need on a single substrate or fabric that we carry inventory on. So we can carry lots of inventory on this one fabric, but print a myriad of different designs on it. Interesting. Are, are there certain uh, quality trade-offs or pricing trade-offs with digital printing? Not for this product category. But that is a very good question. If you are pursuing this, you would want to make sure that the color so, so fastness it depends on the specifics. And the, yeah, color fastness, crocking. You'd want to make sure that it meets the quality standards for the product that you're developing. But digital printing has come a long way. And each digital printer has its own specialty in terms of the type of material that it can be printed on. Sometimes, like with a polyester fabric, you might be doing printing it first on paper and then transferring it to the material. And then in other cases, you can do direct printing. So it depends on your specific material requirements. 
One that comes to mind that really paid off was introducing custom soft window treatments. That would be draperies and Roman shades to a company that only made hard lines and shades and bringing that fashion to the sales force. What that did was it greatly increased our average order value and it also really allowed designers to be much more creative. So from kind of a fashion and revenue perspective, that's the one that comes to mind. Another is developing my own line of um, handmade cement tiles that I've been curating since 2012, around the same time I started my consulting company. I also launched this line of cement tiles and that has been extremely satisfying for me to just create what I want to create and also learning everything from how to set up a website to how to ship pallets and containers across the Pacific Ocean. So I've sort of learned soup to nuts how to run a company by launching that product line. I was hoping you were going to tell the story of the cement tiles and how, how you started something. We've lived in Cincinnati for the last 15 years in the Midwest there. I, I think it's a Midwestern saying that you're eating your own dog food. Yes. Meaning, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> as, a, as a consultant, you, know, yeah, you, you, you don't just give advice, but you also give yourself advice and, and invest your own money in products that you developed and then that, that you're then selling. I love it. Biggest failure? The failure question is always a good one because I, I think we we learn, I mean, it, certainly true for me, I've learned more from my failures than from my successes. We like talking about the success. But is there is there a failure or, or at least something you learned, you know, from something that just did, didn't quite work out so well? Yes, um, I could tell many stories. But the one that comes <laughs> to mind was when I first joined the home furnishings industry, my boss sent me to Heimtex, which is the largest home textiles trade show in the world in Frankfurt, Germany. And it was very exciting for me. And I fell in love with this range of European fabrics that looked completely different from anything else that was in our line at the time and brought it back to the office. And I was so excited about these fabrics. Everybody, everybody got excited about them. <laughs> and <laughs> we bought That's when them. you know you're in trouble. <laughs> bought them, we put them in the line, and the customer did not agree that these were wonderful fabrics. They were a little bit on the modern Scandinavian side, which is sort of my preference. And I really learned from that experience that you really have to understand your customer. The customer for this particular product line was a more traditional customer. And now I always clarify when I say I like that product. It's not because I personally like it. It's because I think it will sell. Right. And that is the sign of, of a mature merchant knowing the difference between our personal taste and what we think is sort of the right product for the brand and for that customer. Because when we put our own taste on the line, that creates uh, inventory anchors. <laughs> yes, I think um, the purchasing department at that company called 
slow-moving, obsolete inventory. They had a nickname that was slobs, which I thought was a really Slobs. Nice. <laughs> there you go. In finance, they use a FIFO and LIFO for first in, first out, or last in, first out. And there's a third category called fish. First in, still here. <laughs> right? I guess that's the same as slobs. <laughs> yes. What kind of skills or attitudes do you think make an effective merchant? Well, I think wanting to know everything you can about the product, including if you can travel to the factory and ask to make the product yourself, talk to the engineers if it's an engineered product, look at the history, if anyone can tell you about the history of the product and how it came to be what it is. Learn all you can about the supply chain. Sit with the accounting department and understand the profit and loss of your product category within the scheme of the company. And then I would say learn any analytical program you can. The ones I use are Excel, Tableau, and Adobe Analytics. Um, expect that you will need to use pivot tables and lookup tables to combine data from different sources. Expect that sometimes when you're doing an analysis, you're going to spend more time cleaning the data than you will actually spend analyzing it sometimes. And Screw that. <laughs> and I think it's a great, merchandising is a great foundation for growing into a senior leadership position. A lot of CEOs and top retailers came up through merchandising. So I recommend it for someone who enjoys a job that's different every day. How can people find you? Is there a website or email address? Thank you so much, Benno. You can find my website at style-data.com or you can also find me on LinkedIn, Karen Jeske. And that's Karen with an I. Karen a with an I, yes. Okay. Just just make, trying to help you out here, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Benno. Thank you so much, Karen. This was a great conversation about product growth through creativity and analysis, left brain, right brain, with a little dash of curiosity thrown in. If uh, folks want to explore other growth topics, one-on-one, uh, -on -one, uh, you can find me on, on our website, realignforresults.com, or email Benno, that's B-E-N-N-O, at realignforresults.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, let's keep growing. You can listen to more episodes on Apple, Spotify, or Google. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review it. Share it with your friends or colleagues if you enjoyed the content. Always growing.